it's it's almost hard for people to believe that something so what sounds kind of simple also sounds spacey it could work so well i mean it's krypton like you know like superman or what have you but it really does work this well and it's not coming out of somebody's garage i don't sell it i make no money on it in fact i've lost well I'll just say a lot because i you know i i resigned from my position over a year ago with this the main purpose of it to get word out there about this light Welcome to After Hours with Dr. Sigalov, where he can share ideas and thoughts with you. He gets to the heart of the issue so that you can find the truth. The views and opinions expressed are his and do not represent the U.S. Army, DOD, nor the U.S. government. Dr. Sigalov was either off duty or on approved leave, and Dr. Sigalov was not in uniform at the time of recording. Now, to Dr. Sigalov. All right. Well, thank you for joining us again. I want to first thank all my Patreon supporters, Shell Pace at the $50 level, Sam and Angela Shelke at $20.20. We have the Plandemic Reprimando at $17.76. We have Ty, Charles, Tinfoil, Stanley, Dr. Anna, who has been a guest on this, Frank. At the $10 level, we have Kevin. At the Refine Not Burn, $5. Uh, Linda, Emmy, Joe, Pat and Bev, PJ, Rebecca, Marcus, Elizabeth, Dawn, Jennifer, and then the $1 a month tier at where Courage is Contagious, Amanda, Jay, Spetsdancy, Darrell, Susan, BB King, who's been a guest, and Rick. I want to thank you all very much for helping support me. It's been great. You may be able to find me on Roku sometime soon, and there'll be more details about that. But first, I want to introduce my guest. So Dr. Aaron Williams is an anesthesiologist, and just like me and many others in this field, we've been looking at different ways to stop this pandemic. Pandemic, I'm supposed to say. <laughs> yeah, Oops. And he's been looking into different technologies that we haven't really looked into too much. So do you mind if I call you Aaron? Absolutely, please. I'm not a very okay. formal person, unless awesome. I have to be, so wonderful. Perfect. So, Aaron, tell us about what you've been discovering about UV technology and how it can help clean the air. Yeah, so this is kind of a technology that's been around for a really long time, at least in its earlier form. So some listeners might be familiar with having one in their HVAC system, for instance, or for people in the medical field around the operating room, specifically for UV robots that will run in those ORs in between the surgical cases that will help disinfect the area even better at times than some of the wipes and things will. And so um, there's those people who might work in food processing plants or maybe in a water processing plant as well. UV disinfection has been used in those since roughly around 1906. So we've had a lot of different UV used, but the, the reason why those are in your HVAC system and not in, in other places, in public spaces to clean the air in real time is because they will give you some eye irritation, sunburn, and possibly skin cancer eventually. So obviously you can't bathe people in that sort of light. But, you know, when I was doing a leadership role within our health system, and, you know, we ended up having a lot of extra free time because we canceled so many surgeries. I wouldn't call it free time. I was in administration, but I was looking for, you know, some sort of UV light. I said, well, maybe I can get one of those like we have in the operating rooms off Amazon or what have you. And we can use it in our office to clean things, to maybe do our masks, our N95s and what have you. And while I was looking for that, I found this thing, a new UVC called Bar UVC. That was roughly April of 2020. And since then has been a continuous journey and discovery. And it's only gotten better and more ready to go since that time. Awesome. So if you want me to show some, some of the slides that you're showing, just say, you know, the slide number when you start talking. Okay. Great. That I think I you can... probably still... Lining up afterwards. Yeah, sure. And you know, it, the thing with it is that, and the long story short is that I think a lot of the people still in the community and probably even within the community to a small degree anyway, who were looking for alternative ways to, to treat this are still thinking a lot about surfaces. And one of the things that was a revelation to me over this last year was that even the mainstream public health experts, the deans of schools of public health, former heads of OSHA, including the longest running head of OSHA under Obama for roughly eight, nine years, Dr. David Michaels, and multiple others, epidemiologists, et cetera, were writing letters to the CDC and the World Health Organization as early as I believe June of 2020, saying quit with the focus on surfaces and on droplets. We know that the vast majority of this is in aerosols like it has been other things, and that totally changes our approach. 
So instead of wiping everything down using chemicals and, you know, hands and, you know, getting people not to touch each other, all these different things, which there's a little crossover there, but that said, the vast majority of the spread is occurring in the air in indoor public spaces. And that's what they stressed to them. And even last April, there was some OSHA meetings these same people, the first time they had that letter in June of 2020, there was roughly 230 signatories, very prominent from the mainstream community, blasting them. And then again, in very strong language, and you know how our language gets in our medical stuff, we're very proper, you know, right? Very professional. They were blasting them in this, you know, publication in 2020. And again, in April 2022, and they showed up to present at these OSHA hearings as well to say the same thing. Why do we not focus on where the real problem is, which is the virus floating around in the air? And so that's what this 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 light does is kills it in the air before and also does surfaces as well, whatever it shines on before people ever breathe them in. So it's no wonder that it's working amazingly in the many installations it's already had. And it would only work that way anywhere we put them. What kind of results are you seeing where, where it's been put in place? So it's been put in place quite a few places in the summer of 2020. Okay. It was a little early maybe to go all in at that point, but yeah, it was put in a U.S. Air Force base, Air Force Reserve base. It was put in also in the U.S. Army headquarters of the Pentagon. Well, that's interesting. Yes. They helped to do a little bit and, and nobody's hiding it. I know that'll be a question from listeners and, and what have you here shortly. It's not really a conspiracy at, at all. And then that may apply to other, you know, other elements, you know, within this pandemic conversation. But that said, it's really more that people don't know about this one. And some of these people have really even tried to get this out there. You know, even comments from the military saying, you know, hey, we need to distribute this and put this other places. This is something for military readiness. This is something for bioterrorism prevention. You know, there were articles in 2003 joint from the, the docs. There's only two docs roughly who study this, like physician the doctors, that is. Uh, one's at Harvard and one's at University of Maryland. But the one at Harvard had co-authored a paper, I believe, in 2003 with some of the military likely physicians, but I didn't check, about using even the old kind, shining it across the top of a room for preparedness and for bioterrorism prevention, because that actually worked quite well. That should have been done early and upfront. But now this far surpasses it because it can clean the air, not just, you know, floating over, wafting over you at the top of the room, but it can also do it in real time while you're having a literal conversation back and forth with someone at a table, for instance. So when, you know, we've got quotes out of the military, out of the U.S. Army headquarters of the Pentagon, we have not had a single person-to-person transmission since we've installed these lights. And they had all five variants showed up. You know, someone came back from leave and then popped their fever on a Tuesday night. And of course, the 50 to 100 people or however many were in those, those spaces with them, indoor spaces, not outdoor. That's not where we're spreading it, right? We hopefully all know that by now for the most part. But uh, they, you know, said every single time we've tested, tested. Never has anyone else turned up sick. And that's just one example. And so how does this work? So what it does is, you know, it's just a different form of energy. And so when most people and, and I also, you know, as physicians, we're not really trained in physics much at all. Maybe you were, but I don't recall hearing that. And I didn't have much training in that. But with it, when you talk about light, there's all different, you know, wavelengths, which connotate different powers and different ability to penetrate things. And so UVC is not something that actually gets through the ozone from the sun. You get UVA and UVB causing different amounts of skin cancer versus tanning versus vitamin D production and that sort of thing and versus potentially skin cancer at some point. That said, UVC, they're producing now by taking a gas, like mercury was the old kind, and they put it in a little tube or what have you or a bulb, and then they electrify it. And when they shake that up, then it spits out, you know, a certain waveform of light. And so whether that's purple or green or, you know, your household lights putting out different parts of the spectrum, they show up different, you know, yellow versus white, brighter white, this sort of thing. So what this does, though, it's conferring energy. So just like the energy that goes into your skin to make you feel warmer or just like the energy that goes in and then can change the DNA and give you the sunburn and, and all that kind of things and inflammation, et cetera. What this does is this does the same sort of thing, but it doesn't penetrate nearly as far as UVA and UVB. And so even with the other, the older mercury, 
it didn't penetrate very far, but it can give you a skin, you know, a good sunburn and, and what have you, and you can't bathe people in it. But the new kind, what they did is they changed out the gas that they decided to shake up and electrify, essentially. So when they take krypton, a little bit of chloride, but krypton, they put that in there. Now it moved the wavelength just enough to now where it still kills all the viruses and bacteria, but it cannot physically penetrate human skin or eyes, like at all. It has never once been able to harm the 222 filtered without like an offshoot wavelength that they forgot to filter out, you know, seven, eight years ago before they learned about that. Never has the 222 nanometers, the number isn't ex super important, but never has that been able to harm a person or an animal ever. And so with those, and going back to your earlier question about how well is it working? Well, they've had over 2000 installations plus in the last two and a half years. There's not been one single known transmission in those spaces since that's occurred and not one single sol solitary side effect either. Nothing. Wow. Well, how come we haven't been hearing about this more often? Well, you know, and that's an interesting question. So, you know, when we tend to like to think of things in black or white conversations, this is one that really lies in the gray. And so whether you're, you know, from the mindset that if it was important enough, we surely would have heard about it. Surely the, you know, the CDC and the other health authorities would have put this out there. If that's your mindset, then you would write it off based on that. And then you have on the flip side, you have people who think, you know, the government or whoever will shut down anything and everything that's out there. So there's no way this could really be real either. And so what you've got is a very small niche of people who know about this because doctors don't study this. I don't recall in training or ever in conversation, and, and likely you haven't either, but I guess I'll ask if you've ever read or heard about the photochemistry and photobiology journals or reading nature journals as a regular, you know, and that's the, the science journal, but we don't read that as doctors, right? No, no way. I just recently learned a couple of weeks ago that there are photoreceptors, I think in every cell in our body, and there is a way to do photobiomodulation where you can treat people with lasers deep inside, like let's say the brain, penetrating the brain with a certain wavelength through the skull. Absolutely. That's fantastic. You know, the red light therapy and infrared therapy are those sorts of things. And it's incredible. You know, it, the fact that, and it's really a good point that you bring up because this was something I wasn't aware of at all before. You know, before this pandemic and before starting to look in past what I assumed was just, you know, the best kind of medicine, the best, you know, stuff that we were trained in, that was really, you know, that was where it was at. I didn't discount, per se, anything that was a nutraceutical or what have you, but I didn't think it was as good, right, as our normal stuff. So it didn't blow it off. Anything that affects the body is a drug, right? And it's anything that has an effect on the body is a drug. But I thought that our stuff was kind of that real stuff. But yes, between, you know, photobiomodulation, using red light, infrared light therapy, between, you know, using outside the body, ultraviolet. Ultraviolet doesn't have a purpose inside the body, at least not really. And you'd also have to go to the FDA to be able to do that sort of thing. And you know how that would be a, a mess regardless. And so, yeah, the, the amount of health that we could better by learning about these sorts of things, whether it be from the infectious disease standpoint, whether it be from the photobiomodulation, helping with traumatic brain injuries, that sort of thing, and also just healing and energizing the cells. I mean, it works literally on cytochrome C oxidase within the mitochondria of any cell that it can reach. And so that's something that really the new medicine, you know, as, as people are developing kind of a new way and a new more all-inclusive model, more inclusive model to healthcare, that's one of those things that should 100% be included. Definitely. Where can we get these? Is this available for, let's say, my home, your home? Yes, it is. You can get them. And the thing, though, that I tell people usually is that's usually not where you're getting things. And also the method of transmission is a little bit different. So if you were to put them in your house, you know, they're a bit expensive, not for putting them in public places, though. And the money's already been set aside. Like we could put them in every single school in America right now with money to spare with leftover funds from the ARP and such that are in ESSER funds are called ESSER funds and for the schools. But for home use to do that. So think of it as a wide angle flashlight. And so, for instance, I actually bought the one of the companies, Eden Park Illumination out of Illinois, made the first version that is portable and can be operated with a battery. So, but if you think of it like a wide angle flashlight, 
So here this is, very light, slightly bigger than my hand. And basically all you would do for this, and you're thinking about it, like I said, as a, as a wide angle flashlight, turn this on, a very non-intrusive hum that it makes, a tiny purple glow, you might not even be able to tell, but that's not the part of the ultraviolet because you can't see this. So it doesn't bother anyone in the space. And it comes out in about a 60 degree cone as a wide angle flashlight. So if you think of it like that. So if we're in one room in a house, for instance, we're in one room and we shine it out in between everybody essentially, that's gonna be cleaning the air in real time to the tune of, and depending on what model you've got, what power, what strength, et cetera. But the studies, it actually, when coding, you know, getting a good amount of the room, it's gonna kill roughly 99% continuously as you breathe it out. And the thing about the home though, oh, go ahead. Wait, so I had a question about how long does the particles need to be, how long did the particles need to be exposed to that to denature them or destroy them or however it works? Yeah, it's basically within seconds, as much as maybe 30 seconds total, but not much more than that. And what it does is that energy gets into, and to get back to your question and answer it better, my apologies, <laughs> my apologies, is that it gets into the cell because it can penetrate because it's a lot smaller and thinner than, you know, we have dead skin cells, like multiple layers of dead skin cells. And so it can't get through that. But in those bacteria and viruses, and whether that's anthrax, whether that's smallpox, whether that's any virus you can come up with, the cold viruses, flu viruses, coronaviruses, every variant, it penetrates in and then it basically will melt the DNA and RNA effectively. It'll increase some of the energy within some of the bonds and then it will kind of cross-link them. So if you think of them kind of like a zipper, you know, as we've been taught in the past to think about DNA, basically what it does is it will glue some of those pieces together so it's all non-functional. So it can't replicate whatsoever. And there's no real reversal. There's no, there's no immunity or any resistance that can develop to this. They did a study just recently, actually, looking at influenza virus, viruses and their sequences from like the 1980 Spanish, 1918, excuse me, Spanish flu on. Still works within seconds, just like it always has. Never has changed a bit. So, but yeah, it only takes, you know, roughly 30 seconds or so, and they just increase the power levels in terms of safety limits that you can give 20 times more than what you could give it, give it before this round of research basically really started kicking into gear the last three years. So you can use a lot of it, kill stuff within seconds. They, they did that study. I was referencing a study from Nature Magazine, you know, the science magazine, as we talked about. It was in March of 2022. They basically took a room and they filled it, and they, they took one side of it, and they continuously blew in Staph aureus. So for, for listeners as well, if you've heard of MRSA, that's that same sort of thing. And it's a much you know bigger bug than is COVID or different influenza viruses. So you're talking you know a lot bigger. So they continuously pumped it into the room. They measured the levels of it. They turned the lights on. The first time they checked was at minute five. The numbers went from 100% to less than around 1%. It was 99% wow. gone, and then it stayed gone the entire time despite them continuously pumping it into the room. That's how well this works. That's really interesting. Was it, were they pumping it right into the beam at first, or did it have to go all around and then eventually get to the beam? The beams were, so they were coming down from the ceiling in a rectangular, I believe, room. And there was five of them coming down. So they're coming down like wide angle flashlights and it's coming from something above there. So it's wafting in and around. And so, and then they're checking it like just towards the other side of the room and it's gone. That's pretty amazing. Essentially, yeah, essentially all gone. And it's, it's almost hard for people to believe that something so, what sounds kind of simple also sounds spacey, could work so well. I mean, it's Krypton, like, you know, like Superman, what have you. But it really does work this well. And it's not coming out of somebody's garage. I don't sell it. I make no money on it. In fact, I've lost, well, let's just say a lot because I, you know, I, I resigned from my position over a year ago with this, the main purpose of it to get word out there about this light 
and to get people to start putting it in multiple places. And, and, and it is in many more places that I mentioned before. I mean, it's in four school districts in South Carolina with great success, 331 buses, 72 schools. It's in a bus line in Cleveland, and it's in multiple dentist offices, chiropractor's offices, a bunch of different spaces, some different schools with kids with special needs who also couldn't wear masks if we believed that those work, but regardless for those kids as well, right? And it's been just amazing the entire time. But yeah, this is, it works so well. It is fully proven scientifically to be completely safe, com and it works amazingly. The only question is how amazing does it work? That's why I have literally hardly worked, you know, in the last year as an anesthesiologist. It was weird because, you know, I go from chairman of the department for multiple years, leading up things within a hospital system to doing this, right? But that's why, you know, and, and over time, as I've studied it, as I referenced earlier, it's only gotten better. It has only gotten better and the studies more robust and the proof and the evidence more robust that the logic from the start was, okay, well, if we have those lights that have worked amazingly for water treatment and your HVAC, whatever, but we can actually do it in real time, then, and then you can do it safely without it penetrating skin or eyes. There's no really other way that it could work other than just incredibly. So, and, and, and to, to just kind of put that into perspective for people. So if you think about it, you know, you say, well, it, it works great in the HVAC or what about that little, that little, you know, filter UV combo I've got in the corner. It's really loud and it's kind of blowing, what have you, but those work great. They do work great for the air they touch and when they touch it. But if you, you have a sick person on this side of the room and then on the other side of the room is the vent to actually have the air go out to then go and get cleaned everybody's going to get exposed to a good amount before it actually gets up there to be cleaned. So that's only going to help so much. Will it decrease the overall level in the room? Yeah, a little bit. And what, you, what we measure that in without, you know, popping up, you know, pictures or what have you is, is air exchanges per hour. Like if you wash the air out that had the virus in it, there's none left. And how much can you, how much can you do with that? And, and you know, if you get a little back mixing, so they say like one air exchange, you'll get rid of roughly 63%. And then there's 37% left per hour. So there's 37% left. Well, then another air exchange per hour will take 63% of the remaining 37 and so on. So what you get with an HVAC UV device or one of the ones like in the corner is your pro in the corner of a room, for instance, you're going to get maybe two or so air exchanges an hour. These lights and, and CDC recommendations and what have you are somewhere in the three to six range for public spaces. That's what they beefed it up to. The lights for comparison have 184 air exchange per hour equivalent. That's how quick and amazing, I mean, literally, it's at the speed of light, killing it within seconds as you're breathing it out. This is why you have these 2000 installations and no one has ever reported a known case of transmission in those spaces. It's, it only makes sense to be honest. That's actually really incredible. How far can these lights shine? How far are they effective? You know, what I've been told, and I think it makes some sense, they can shine quite a ways. I mean, you can get coverage for up to, you know, 2,000 square feet, depending on the power level, like luminance and what have you. And it's basically until it hits something, essentially. And that could be like little dust particles in the air as well, soak up a little bit of it as it goes along, things like that. But yeah, generally you're going to get about a thousand, two thousand square feet out of something like this. And some of them will be about 500. It also depends on where you're shining it. You know, if I take it here in my hand and shine it just four feet down to the ground with a cone that's 60 degrees, I'm not getting near as much coverage, right? So it's really just kind of getting a mental image in your mind and doing that. And and if I step back to the home for a moment, because I didn't answer your question fully there, at your home, you're going to be really close to people. There's going to be more intimate contact, you know, hugging, kissing, family members, kids, etc. And so you're going to, you would have to have it in every single room in your house, because as soon as you move from your living room where you had it stationed to your kitchen, then now, you know, yeah, you decreased your overall, but you have so many other rooms and it would get really cost prohibitive to put it in your in your house. And that's where that would be a bigger issue. Whereas in public spaces, like it just takes care of all of it. Now, there is one caveat. I mean, I have one, but it's also more for beta testing. And so I could show people and, and that sort of thing that I bought it. 
But if you have one, like say, you know, and you have a bunch of family coming over, or you had someone who just went through chemo and, you know, they're immune suppressed and you want to put it in the main area where people can gather and come see them and don't have to worry about it. And you just be careful about all the close touching, that sort of thing. And you have the extra, you know, capacity to spend, you know, a thousand dollars or what have you, which for what it does is actually an incredible bargain. But that would be the one caveat to maybe using it in your home. But otherwise, this is more really for the public places because where people are spreading, I mean, where pandemics spread are in those public places, indoor public spaces, floating in the air, not on the surfaces. And anything this does, you know, say you have these wherever you have them put up, whatever surfaces this light hits, it does the same thing. So it also does surfaces as well. So there's a lot less. Now it doesn't do a crack around a corner, doesn't obviate the need entirely from doing wipe downs and things. And it's not going to go through syrup that's caked on a, you know, on a seat cushion in an airport terminal. But anything that's otherwise wiped clean, this decreases that contaminant load greatly. But the air is where it's most effective and incredible and needed for that matter. So I, I see where the importance of this probably is more likely in small communities, public buildings, like you had said, so that the people in that area can kind of push their local community to have these lights installed in whatever public spaces they have. Does that seem to be what, like you said, schools and buses and things like that? Is that where you're seeing this used the most? It is starting to be for sure. And I know Laredo Public School Districts were recently put out an RFP. And with the likely result being that they were going to put it in their schools as well. Those four school districts in South Carolina were actually Representative Clyburn, a very prominent Democratic representative, long time, well-respected. He, his campaign actually helped to facilitate that whole project. And apparently Chicago Public Schools has some interest as well. You know, and this has been out there too. I will say, to tie this back into the conversation, it's been in the New York Times it's been, you know, a year ago, they had an article like, we can stop super spreader events, the New York Times, from these public health experts and the real experts on this UV light. Time Magazine, article from the Harvard physician, who's been the longtime studier, you know, and researcher on this. And then, yeah, they've been on NBC News three times <laughs> in 18, 20, and 22. Dr. David Brenner, the physicist at Columbia University, the namesake you know, physiology department from Marie Curie, you know, if we recall the name from school, he's the lead of that department. He's been one of the main researchers really developing this along with the companies. And he was on there multiple times as well. It really does need to be, getting back to that, that point, it does need to be in those public spaces, getting the communities to get out there and do it. Because right now, it's really just getting the knowledge out to them and then getting them to understand it. And also getting them to understand that, number one, it's real. Number two, it's available. And like in mass production, that's kind of just waiting for more demand to really get out there. And number three, in most of these spaces we're talking about, not at the home, but in most of these public spaces, we're talking about money that's already laid aside in these ARP funds. So schools, if you get into this, dig into this, learn about it, you don't even have to learn that much. You don't have to be on a physicist level. You just have to understand it works and it's safe and it's incredible. And we need to put it in everywhere. And then you can go to your school boards or what have you. All they have to do is use the money they already have. There's complaint articles. If you look in, you know, do a, you know, a DuckDuckGo search or what have you, Google search, whatever, and you'll find a lot of people in different communities complaining at their school boards for not using all this money that's allocated. What are you going to do with all this money that's there? It's literally, there's billions of dollars in virtually every state, depending on the size, but there is more than enough to put it in in every single one of these schools. All they have to do is access it. And for, for, for churches as well, churches don't get the money directly. It's not as easy, but this has been something where a lot of people, you know, elderly people and stuff are not going, not even getting back into the church because of their fears of getting COVID or, or what have you. And this would open that back up, but they do actually apply as nonprofits and things under the ARP funds. They just have to get the money through a local like city or county government or the state government. So they just have to kind of apply for the money to come through to them and just work with their local representatives. There's at least five or 600 within about four states along the coast in the Carolinas up through Virginia, DC, I believe, that are all in the active process of getting funding to put these in. I think that's great that 
I mean, I think it's terrible that so many churches and so many people are afraid to go to church. So many churches have closed down and people are afraid to go. People are still wearing like, you know, there's that one family at church who wears a mask. You can see them kind of over there. But this might be a way to help people be encouraged to go back to church, to be around other people, because that's so important for humans. You know, that's that's part of this unseen realm battle is that let's isolate, let's segregate, let's you know, put people in their own little silos so that they don't know what other people are thinking. And that's easier to do when you're not physically near people. When you're near people, it's easy. Hey, Jim. Hey, Bob. Hey, Martha. You know, I mean, it's easy to, to talk to people and then get connected and build relationships. But Satan wants to destroy all that with fear. And this seems like it's a great way to help alleviate fears. Absolutely. There's no doubt. I mean, if I didn't have such a strong conviction, I mean, it, I definitely wouldn't have, you know, totally turned my life upside down to do this and, you know, to bring people back together again. You know, you think about it from that from that just human perspective as well. Think of how many people were dying in our ICUs and places alone, couldn't be around their family. They might have been, you know, 14 days out from having, you know, from being first ill with COVID and well known to not be infectious anymore. Yet they still couldn't have their loved ones come in and be with them. And, you know, that's really when I, I don't think about this really for the hospitals as backwards as that sounds, because we're used to also as physicians thinking about treatments. But the real goal of, of all of our health and of public health policy stated is prevention. So that is the literal goal. And so this is something that actually does that. And so putting it in the community before you ever get there. Not wasting, you know, a lot of time, honestly, trying to to convince a bunch of physicians on a hospital board about how great this is. Unfortunately, you know, if, I don't say this in a, in, a, in a mean way, but if it didn't come from the CDC or they didn't see it on the TV, it's not real for one reason or another. And it doesn't matter if it came out of Columbia University, Boeing aerospace engineers that have been working on this since 2015. They have a whole UV team. They put it in their, their, they have one plane, an echo demonstrator, where they show all their top technology. In 2019, they had it on their echo demonstrator plane. And again, last year in 2022, they had it out in the, the galleys where people congregate when they're getting ready to use the restrooms and, the, and the, the airline attendants are and that sort of thing. And also in the lavatories themselves. They don't really need them in the seats, contrary to public belief. When people think they're getting sick on the plane, they're getting sick actually in the lines for security and in the terminals. There's about 30 to 45 air exchanges per hour in each of those seats. And in the lavatories, not on surfaces, but that air in there is roughly around 60. You can't hardly get anyone else sick in those spaces. But I mean, this came from like full science, full tech. It's got everything that it needs to have. And getting those put into hospitals is too much of a problem. I really, the places where I push it, to be honest, in that realm, are for, say, pediatric bone marrow transplant units, cancer wards, things like that. That's where you'd get really a lot of high impact. I mean, our system had started up, you know, a COVID hospital. No one, we had zero transmissions at our hospital settings, at that hospital or at our regular hospitals, for at least a year and a half into that, into COVID. So really, that's not where the spread's happening it's really happening in those public spaces. And so whether it's those churches and getting them back in there or just letting people know, like, this is kind of how, as, as hyperbolic as it sounds, that this is how you stop respiratory pandemics. This is fully how you stop them. And, and you'd say, well, ah, that seems kind of outlandish. And it really does, unless you think about it for a minute. The reason we don't have water-based pandemics now in the U.S. The reason why you don't talk about not being able to drink the water, right? Oh, don't wash your, you know, your lettuce with the water. Make sure you do something else before. The reason why we do that is because we actually sterilize, you know, using the term sterilize loosely, but basically we disinfect. That'd be a better, better rough term without getting into FDA 99.99 definitions and what have you. Basically, we disinfect that water. So we went from a society that had typhoid fever as the GI equivalent of COVID and long COVID. So it was cyclical, it was endemic, it would go through the communities, wreak havoc, and your water supply, and this is how they judged the water supply a little over 100 years ago. Your water supply was good if only 25 out of every 100,000 people in your community died every year from typhoid fever. 
Wow. 25 out of 100,000 died from it. So you can tell how many more thousand got it, right? And then they've got the leftover, the long, you know, we'll say the long typhoid, which was kind of like dysentery and all these bowel problems and, and all the, these issues that were going on afterwards. But it was considered good water, if that. And also for a more tangible space, if they measured your water and put it under a microscope, circa 1900, 1905 plus, Sounds like ancient history, but it's important to this discussion. If you had one milliliter and they counted up all the bacteria in it, if you had less than 100 per one milliliter, it was considered quality water. 99 bacteria per milliliter, you were good to go because all they did was filter it, but they didn't disinfect it yet. So you can only do so much through filtration processes that was way better than it was before. That said, it was far from being able to tackle the problem. That same thing applies to air filtration and or cleaning it after it leaves the room, but rather than disinfecting it in real time. So people thought it was crazy, um, which is really odd, right? It's really odd because the background story to this, back to the days of like, you know, snow taking off the well pump, you know, in, in London for the, the cholera or whatever epidemic was there in like the 1840s, was they would go down the street spraying down everything with chlorine during one of these huge outbreaks of cholera that was killing tons of people, tons of people. And, and when that would happen, you know, people in New York, when cholera was coming over on the boats with people, 200,000 out of 450,000 fled the city, nearly 50% <laughs> fled the city because of how bad it was. So they'd go out there in these cities and they'd spray the streets down everything done with chlorine. They would use chlorine in their houses to wipe everything down, all of the surfaces, all these different things. Babies would drink high concentrations, drink high concentrations of it when they got diarrheal illnesses. So a doc, one doc, and I didn't know this till I was going to include it in a talk. I'm like, well, if we disinfect, you know, our water, I mean, that's why we don't get sick, you know, but before I put it in a presentation, I was like, let me look up the background, you know, does it really apply as well as I think it does? In fact, it applied better than I thought. And a, a book written um, called The Chlorine Revolution was written in the last 10 years or so by a engineer with like Waterworks Association, et cetera, talking about the history of that. So we have this assumption as a society that anytime there's some great advance that automatically the public finds out and they're like, oh, this is amazing. And it just gets implemented automatically. In fact, the opposite is usually true. And in our profession, you know, in the, in the medical profession, one that's more specific to us is the thing that's called the Semmelweis reaction or the Semmelweis reflex, which I didn't know was a thing. But back in the 1840s, when Semmelweis, a physician in Austria somewhere, basically said, okay, why are, you know, 15 to 18% of our women dying from childbed fever after we deliver their babies in these hospitals? And over here in the midwives, there's only like 4% dying. And he looks at himself and his med students and they say, well, he's like, well, we're going to the infected cadavers over here, putting our hands into infected cadavers, and then walking over and putting our hands into the birth canal of the living moms. And he says, maybe there's something there, whether it's humors, whether it's whatever, let's just in between those two spaces, let's just wash our hands with some chlorine water. So they do that and immediately 15% down to like 1%, which was better than anywhere else at the time. Clear-cut evidence and consistent. It stayed that way. You know, you think about that graph that I was telling you about, you know, five minutes later, 99%, and then it stays down. That same sort of process. Well, he presented it, told the docs, but they got offended because they said, well, you're not saying that we're the cause of all this death and disease. No. They brushed it off. He ended up in a mental asylum and died there. Later on, some years later, five years later, after he got, you know, progressively angrier, I don't know that he was fully psychotic. There's some different backstory to whatever, but he was presenting, trying to put this out in books. And the medical community for over 20 years didn't want to wash hands in order to prevent the spread of disease. And the same thing happened then, not as bad, with this water disinfection conversation where one doc and one engineer we're basically like, well, we're, ha we're using chlorine. We know it works. I use it under my microscope. You know, this is time when doctors did their own tests under their own microscopes and they're, you know, they're physician scientists. And he's like, well, if I just even put a little bit in here, that works great. So why don't we design a system for this uh, was Jersey City in that area and do that? Well, the heads of MIT fought him in court, fought them in court in 1908, 1909. It's a big saga.
And they tried to, what are you going to do, like long-term effects, et cetera, et cetera. We don't know what it'll do. They're like, well, I know what it does right now. <laughs> it kills all those 99 bacteria per milliliter you thought were okay. And our people are going through these cycles of, of death. And when cholera comes to town, lots of death. They have full cholera cemeteries on the East Coast. Like cholera cemeteries only. And so a little different discussion now with, with some of our modern medical care, but you'd still have that. So we've kind of not really grasped how good it is just to do disinfection of like the three main vehicles, hands, water, and then air in these public places, you put it in there. Wherever you put these, pandemics won't be able to spread. It'll be like GI diseases are now. So we have about 300 cases roughly per year of typhoid fever that come into the U.S. They might spread to some people that they might make a meal for the next day or so. So you might get an outbreak of 15 people, but it's very easy to trace and track and then it goes away quickly. Same thing with cholera. About five cases get to come in per year. They don't get to spread anywhere because they can't take that bacteria, toss it into the water supply, and then everyone else gets sent out to them and put it in. Think about that in terms of someone coming off a plane from China, wherever they got it from, or, you know, they were studying some melting ice somewhere and got a primordial virus that we're being warned about, you know, recently in the news. That's a new thing, apparently, they're telling us about. So, Regardless, they come over, they're covered in the airplanes, they're covered in the airport terminal, they're covered in the grocery store when they go get groceries before they go back to their friend's or relative's house. The only place they can spread it to really is those relatives, but then those relatives can't spread anywhere else. So that same sort of concept applies. It does, it is a little harder when you're just speaking about it. You really have to kind of visualize this, but really there's not any other way that this can really work. It's just wherever you decide to put them, that's where you're going to stop the transmission. So flu, sick days at work, sick days at school, all of that. That school district I was telling you about, from putting them in three of those four school districts, from putting them into those 331 buses in those four districts, within the first 60 days, they saw a 30% increase in their attendance just from putting them in the buses. And so, you know, as I do, as a medical and scientific professional, there's a lot of variables in there. That said... 30% when other districts are having increases of their, you know, absenteeism is a clear indicator that it's a large part of it. 30% is huge. And before we get going too much further, you're talking about chlorine. I want to have the listener go back and look at episode 79 at the time of recording. It's not published yet, but by the time it comes out, it'll be out. Episode 79, where I talked to Dr. Manuel Apricio, and he talks about chlorine dioxide and how that can help prevent illness, treat illness, treat various conditions. So please go back, take a look at that one. Oh, yeah, that's a fantastic subject that I look forward to delving into more, so I'll have to check that out as well. See how there's... I do, there's I do need to give the quick disclaimer that I'm not suggesting using it for treatment. The FDA would not like me to do that. This is only for educational purposes. You got it. Absolutely. And, you know, and the good thing here about this light, right? A lot of people are like, is this approved? How does this kind of work? Well, yeah, it's been approved for some time. It's approved through the EPA as a disinfection device rather than as a treatment device. You know, some people say, well, can you drop it down? Well, theoretically, we could put it onto a wand and whatnot if they could make it, you know, make the probes thin enough. That said, that's an FDA approval. It's a totally different thing. Prevention is key. Prevention is where we stop the spread of all these things. And so wherever these viruses come from, whatever labs or bats or raccoon dogs or monkeys or whatever it is, if it's not something sexually transmitted and it's something that's circling in the air, that's where we can put these. So the EPA, it's already done. There's two committees, mainly two organizations. One is the ACGIH, like Industrial Hygienics Organization. And then the other one is the ANSI, which is ANSI, the American National Standards Institute. Those are kind of like the stamps for what is a safe amount of X, Y, or Z to use in a public space. So whether that's, you know, a chemical cleaner, whether that's UV light, a different kind of UV light, a laser, different lasers for applications, medical or otherwise, these are the people to do it. Well, before, and the numbers and whatever aren't, you know, super important, but like I said, I referenced briefly earlier, so... Before, they had a theoretical model for how much of this you could use, which was like 23 millijoules per centimeter squared. But either way, just 23. Through all these studies that were specially done over the last three years, they you know, went back to them, the researchers, 
Columbia, et cetera, went back and said, hey, we need to be moving this up because we could get even better coverage. Then it was with that lower level, it was still roughly 92% continuous, which is way better than anything else in space. But now that's why it's closer to the 99 because they did approve it for going from 23 to 479. They literally said, not only is it safe, but it's so safe you can use 20 times more of it. So this is more than approved. It's out of big institutions. And there's nothing really like, again, it's not like some entrepreneurs out of their garage, somebody with some new snake oil to sell you, but in the form of a light, it's fully proven and it's, it, it is fully ready to go. That's incredible. I, I want to thank you for, for sharing so much information with us today. Where can people in their local community, and maybe you can send me a link and I can put it down below, where they can find this company that makes these and they can talk to their local community about getting it in certain areas, let's say schools or, you know, wherever they feel is appropriate. Absolutely. You know, there's a there's some of the different websites for the actual manufacturers and what have you. They can look at Columbia University's website if they look up Columbia University far dash, like not near, but far, because it's just farther down the spectrum of the light, you know, 222, whatever. Far UVC, far dash UVC, Columbia University, Dr. David Brenner, B-R-E-N-N-E-R. So you can find some things there. You can also find things just doing a general web search. Some of the companies, care222.com. Ushio is a big lighting manufacturer. They do medical lasers. They do all kinds of things. They've been one of the primary developers of this, along with Eden Park, the product that I showed you earlier, Eden Park Illumination out of Illinois. So if you look up EdenPark.com, that is theirs. There's some other companies that are really active and putting it out there. One is called USUV Clean. Not clean, but dirty, USUVclean.com. And they were the ones who installed a bunch of them down in South Carolina and multiple other places. And I think they've done some shows, but I don't know if they've been published with Discovery Channel, with Voice of America Radio, and some others. So those are some places. And then one other is, and again, I don't get paid for anything, but I did set this website up last year. So people didn't have to, I didn't have to depend on people listening for 45 minutes to get them from knowing nothing to being like, why don't we have this everywhere? And so I put this website, kryptonlights.com. So K-R-Y-P-T-O-N lights.com. And I have a fair amount of information. I have links. You could figure out how much money is left in your state right now, which is still a lot at last check under these ESSER funds to be able to put them in schools. I have some information there. I also probably at some point here, and if people send me an email, which you can send an email on the site, I have a three-page, like more of a scientific paper, but it was set up to go to these school districts that might be helpful as well, because it gives it to them in layman's terms, but also gives them the backing and shows them that, you know, the CDC and World Health have even supported this for TB control in the past. It took them about 40 years too long to get there. That said, they finally did, and that's out in 2009 recommendations that still last to this day from the CDC about using the old kind, the upper room UV to kind of just shine above your head and get the air as it was for TV control. So that's there. I may have that put up there at some point. If they reach out to me, I can definitely send that to them as well. And that'll be another resource. But I hope to also maybe just take my, my full talk and break it up into some parts and start to put those videos on there as well, because it is kind of hard to wrap your head around. And, you know, for a lot of people, it's also, it's an uncomfortable thought to think that for at least the last two years, it's pretty well been ready to go for two years, but especially the last year, year and a half, it's really, really been ready to go. That we could have had this and stopped a lot of this death and destruction and, and problems and seen their loved ones gone to church, all these things for so long. So it's a little hard for people to grasp, you know, but I can tell you, every question you have can be answered well, any of your listeners, and, you know, we can help them put it in. I'd be happy to help as a reference. I'll even speak to school boards and things remotely, whatever we need to do to get it done. This needs to happen. The kids have lost so many days in school. They say the learning loss from the U.S. Surgeon General and UNICEF, you know, the losses are, you know, incalculable for what's happened to our kids. And so it's only a matter of time, we're told, before the next, you know, scary virus comes out. And then we theoretically have to shut down, have to, but people would argue to shut down again, right? With this, smallpox could be roaming. School would be your safe space if you have the lights in. That's what this looks like. It's revolutionary. It's, I mean, 
smallpox, it would take it out. Polio, take it out. Where, you know, back in the, you know, 50s and 50s at least, kids would get polio during the summer. And here, now school would be the safe place. That That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I mean, it's it's revolutionary. And, and I appreciate you bringing me on to, to speak about it and be happy to, you know, provide whatever else your listeners and, and help facilitate. Because it needs to happen. It needed to happen a year ago or so. I try not to get too impatient and too frustrated with timing and, you know, wait for the Discovery Channel thing to come out to try to push that places from these companies. And there is the first ever Congress, International Congress on Far UVC Science and Technology happening at Columbia this summer because they realize too, these researchers, developers, these companies, they all realize that it needs to be out there. And they're trying to figure out how do we get this to break through? We've even put our strongly worded emphasis in, in all these scientific journals. They've said things on the New York Times and Time Magazine and NBC. Uh, they've had little spots on Fox Business, etc. But how do you get it to really get in that public consciousness to where then they start demanding it? And then we really actually get it done. And that's that's what they're you know working more towards as they continue to still study it more. But yeah, it's fully operational. And yeah, again, I appreciate you having me on here to speak about it. Yeah, this is a great way where we take the power back. We don't we we remove the ability for someone to say, oh, we're going to shut you down for two weeks to flatten the United States. I mean, flatten the country. I mean, flatten the curve is what they were saying, the curve. And now we don't need to be slaves to that. We can say, no, we have better technology and these are actually safer places because of these lights. A hundred percent. It's basically a pandemic free zone. I mean, somebody can come in sick. But the spread is what characterizes a pandemic. You know, a virus in a bat or a virus in a lab somewhere isn't a pandemic until it spreads. So this is what it does. This stops the spread in the air in public places where it spreads. And it's as simple as that. Well, Dr. Williams, thank you so much for coming on. I truly appreciate it. Likewise. Just a reminder for everyone out there, duty uniform of the day, the full armor of God. Let's all make courage more contagious than fear.